Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode number four of Small Business Big Plans, the podcast where we walk with you along your journey to building your perfect business. I am your host, Jeremy Davis, and today we're in for a very special treat. My good friend and high school classmate, Sherry Kennard, is with us. She is with Georgia Primary Bank, and she is going to talk with us about how you might finance your up-and-coming business. So, We're really looking forward to talking to her. She's got a lot of experience in this area and stick around. It's going to be a great time. All right, everybody. So like I mentioned, we are here in episode four with my good friend, Sherry Kennard. And just to give you a little background on her, uh, she sent me a bio, and what I like to do with people that I interview and bring onto the show is I like to highlight, um, you know, some of the main things. <laughs> what what I found myself doing is basically highlighting the entire bio here. So I'm just going to yeah. run down some of the things that she has accomplished in uh, what is a very, you know, relatively short career, uh, graduating with me in 1994. So. Uh, She is currently with Georgia Primary Bank and is the Senior Vice President, Director of SBA Government Guaranteed Lending. Um, What she does is basically be responsible for restructuring and growing the bank's SBA USDA Lending Division. She recently served as uh, Senior Vice President and Director of SBA Business Development at Renaissance Bank. Um, She's had 17 years in government guaranteed lending. In 2013, she was honored by the Georgia Small Business Development Center for Strong Commitment and Innovation, Economic Growth, and Business Leadership. She's chair of the Small Lender East Committee for the National Association of Government Guaranteed Lenders, and she serves on the NAGGL Public Policy Committee and Invest Atlanta Loan Committee chair. She's a current board member and past chair for the Georgia Lenders Quality Circle, 2014 awarded the Lifetime Commitment Award for her dedication to small business community. 2015, she was one of the top 25 women of Atlanta by Steed Media and Rolling Out Magazine. 2017, Financial Services Champion of the Year for the state of Georgia. And in 2019, she was awarded the Business Award from the Clark Atlanta University National Alumni Association and nominated and selected to attend the Entrepreneurs and Innovation Summit at the White House. All of that aside, she's also a mother to a fantastic young man, Jalen, and she's a member of Salem Salem Bible Church, Clark Atlanta University Alumni Association, Alpha Kappa Alpha, and a former page for the U.S. House of Representatives. Unbelievable bio for what is a short career. So, Sherry, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for having me. I am excited and... uh... I'll pay you for reading all of that in that bio later. <laughs> now, now that we've gone through your bio, the show is over. So uh, everyone have a great day. I mean, that is an, an impressive career. And, uh, you know, I'm a little bit, um, you know, biased, obviously, but our high school class uh, is just unbelievable. And you're just another example of that. Um, I really do appreciate you joining us. Um, and it's I'm really excited about this episode as well, because, we previously have talked about building a business plan, and ultimately, that business plan is going to be presented uh, to someone like you. So kind of give us an idea of what your day-to-day looks like when it comes to small businesses. 
Well, typically, um, let's just say you usually get a call or you usually get an email or walking in the bank and someone's looking for capital. They want to start a business or they have a business that they want to grow. Um, from there, we usually have a short discussion so I can figure out one, is this eligible for SBA? Now, keep in mind, I only do government guaranteed lending, which is SBA and USDA. So there are eligibility requirements because those programs are geared to go to people who don't really fit the conventional box of um, traditional lending at the bank. So we have a conversation to see if it's eligible. If it is, from there, you know, I'll go on to request your business plan, your financials, and anything else that goes along with that deal. Um, that business plan for us is very important because it gives us a look inside the business. It helps us to understand the business. Um, it gives us an outlook on your competition, how you're going to market the business, uh, a background, your background in the industry. And hopefully you're going to put in there some financials. Like if you're an existing business, you're going to show us what you've done historically. And then you're going to show us what you're projecting to do in the future. If you're a startup, you're going to just show us projections here. This is what I think I can do in this business, in this industry, in this location um, with this demographic. That's what we're looking for. Gotcha. Um, so now, that uh, while we're talking, uh, sorry, while we're talking about the business plan, just because it's it's something that I think a lot of people don't have a lot of experience with, and I think even based on personal experience, that a lot of people will look at the business plan and go, well, I mean, this is obviously people talk about it, but it's not that important. So can you explain, you know, if, if it came down, if you, for example, were in a situation where you were trying to decide, you just kind of had that 50-50 thing uh, of whether or not you were going to uh, make this make this deal, how important is that business plan to kind of pushing you over the edge? It's very important. Actually, with SBA and USDA, it's required. Um, we have to have something because the bank can't go on their own intuition. We have to have something to base our decision off of. And that business plan is what we use. Now, keep in mind, I've gotten in my 17 plus years of lending in SBA, I've received business plans that are 500 plus pages, <laughs> to five pages. And to tell you the truth, with the number of business plans that I get that sometimes are just sent to me email or mail, the more precise and concise is the better. I'm not reading 500 pages. I can't uh, because I have a number of clients. I have a number of other business plans. And if you give me a 500 page business plan, you're regurgitating a lot of information. I just Correct. Need, Especially if you're a new business, right? You don't have that much data that you, you don't can have that much information to keep putting in 500 pages. And when I say 500, I'm not exaggerating. Wow. That reminds me of uh, the old uh, school, the old program back when we were in uh, high school. It's called Head of the Class. And one <laughs> of the uh, final, uh, the final, you know, exam was on communication. And the question was, you know, what is the key to effective communication? I think it was Lisa Givens was in that show. And I think she walked up 
five seconds after the question was posed and handed in her paper and the, the teacher opened it up and it, it just said the key to effective communication is brevity. And I was like, that's always stuck with me since then. So I thought that was a fantastic way to, to do an exam. And it, the, the, the lesson has stuck well, too. So it, it really is. And I, and I tell clients that because, again, your, your, your business plan is being reviewed by a lender who's probably talking to about four or five clients at a time. So you can't invest that, that amount of time in a business plan. Just give us ex- the points that you want us to know. Be able to explain it. Um, you know, I tell people all the time, if you're making donuts, say I'm making donuts. Don't give me a, 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 a unique way of, you know, I take flour and bread and I mix it into a so Just tell me what you're doing because I don't know everything. Like I, I have done loans in a ton of industries. If you're, if you have a daycare, just say you have a daycare. I don't need two and three paragraphs to say you're making donuts. Right. You, I mean, you, yeah, you're an intelligent person and anyone who you're going to be going to asking for money is intelligent enough to understand, okay, we make donuts and let's move on. The idea here is to sell as many donuts as possible. Exactly. Right. So what are, um, some of the things in the business plan that kind of stick out, like, um, the main thing for me is startup uh, expenses that I kind of understood or realized after the fact that, whoa, there's a lot of things that go into running a business that I didn't quite anticipate. So do you typically see um, small business people making mistakes and that they're not understanding exactly how much it's going to cost? Maybe they're not asking for enough money. Kind of talk to us about that if you have any insight. Definitely. Um, most of the time when we get a, a business plan, the number or because the business plan itself, you know, is more telling us about the business. And then you have your appendix, which is your projections or your financials. So typically I can't think of a time where those financials were actually what we use or what was approved. It never adds up because one, they always forget closing costs. This loan is not going to close without an attorney. And if you have real estate, you have to have appraisals and you have to have uh, surveys and environmental. All of that stuff adds to your cost. Um, Another thing that they typically leave out is they don't include enough working capital. And when I say working capital, I mean money to help with your operating expenses. Most small businesses don't understand that there's a stabilization point. You open a business, you're not going to get to stabilization until three, six months, 12 months from opening. So you have to have money to pay rent, to train and pay your employees, to buy inventory and things like that. So a lot of times they leave that out. Um, Another thing that is big is when you're buying a property. If you're buying real estate and you're doing any improvements on it, we always add a contingency or a little extra to pad that number because there's always something that comes up where that cost increases, that budget, you go over budget. It can be, you know, the grease trap. It could be, you know, we hit stone when we were trying to take down a wall or something happens where that budget, you're going to go over budget. So we put in extra to kind of pad and take care of that. So those are the biggest things that, impact, you know, a change in what the small business or the entrepreneur presents. 
and what is actually approved. Yeah, I think as a small business owner, most people come into a business thinking, I want to ask for as little as possible because therefore I am in as little debt as I need to be. And what that turns into in the entrepreneur's mind is down the line, I can pay this back more, you know, more quickly. And it's a huge mistake to not ask for everything that you need. If you're in a situation where you cannot finance this yourself, uh, you're dealing with professional people here who understand that you're going to have, you know, three to six months, as Sherry just mentioned, of of maybe no revenue whatsoever. And you've got to be able to keep the lights on because it might be something that six months in one day, all of a sudden this thing takes off. And, and, and these folks who are doing this lending understand that. So um, speaking of financing, startup costs and things of that nature, would you recommend it? Do you see it a lot where someone comes in and says, hey, I've got this business. I want to start it but I'm also going to keep this other job. Do you look favorably upon that or is that a negative in your eyes? Well, it depends. And I hate to say that, but it does. So for instance, let's say um, you're opening a daycare. We're not going to want an absentee owner. So what you're saying now, we're not going to want to finance an absentee owner for a daycare. But let's say you own, let's say, a nail shop or uh, something like that. And your job is very flexible. So you can be on site to manage and do your job at the same time. Those two things, those that that's kind of what we look at. And it goes to like one of the five C's of credit when it comes to what we call condition. Is the condition right for not even let's say an absentee owner, but an owner who can do both jobs and be on site. Because the biggest thing with an absentee owner for us is theft. That's the biggest thing is people don't realize it, but theft. If it could be a restaurant, it can be whatever, or you have incompetent management or general manager on site and the owner really never knows what's going on. So for us, it all depends on the industry and that person's ability to be there and check up and make sure that the business is running efficiently. Yeah, that's really interesting. That's really, really interesting. I think one thing to consider here is, you know, what is that condition that you have in your business and how do you present that to the lender? So it might be a situation like Sherry mentioned where you have a, you're starting a daycare. And in that case, like she mentioned, you might say 99% of the time, we're not going to want an absentee owner. However, if you can present in your business plan or in the discussions, um, because obviously you'll be meeting face to face that, Hey, the reason I'm starting this is because this person over here has come to me and she is a world-class um, manager of daycares. And we're going to build this in, say, the Atlanta metro area uh, under her guide. Well, that changes the condition, right? So really consider what you're doing and how you present that to the lender. I think the main thing is just that communication. It's the, the very clear communication. And if they have questions, being able to provide a very understandable answer as to why you're making this decision. Exactly. And they'll tell you, right? I mean, you'll tell someone if they're making what you consider 
not necessarily a poor decision, but a, an unorthodox decision. I mean, you, you're not just a stone wall there, right? You're right. you're helping we, these we people. We give feedback to let them know. Okay, so this is for for the bank. Like we'll look at it and we'll say for the bank, this is not favorable. For instance, let's say you're saying I am going to be the director of the daycare. In in my past years of working with daycare and having a child in daycare, the director is pretty much the person that parents look to. So if the if the person, the entrepreneur is coming to you saying, I'm going to be the director of the daycare and I'm going to keep my job, that right there is kind of like, are you going to be able to put 100% towards that daycare in those kids? Or when you're looking at it and they say, well, I am going to, I want to start a daycare and I am going to have a director who has 25 years experience in daycare. My job is flexible so I can be on site to help manage. See, those are two different ways to look at it. Exactly. Um, you're looking at a deal. But typically, restaurants are one of those things where you don't really want um, an absentee owner or someone who can't be there because, again, for us, it's theft. That's a cash-based business. Um so that's something that we, we really look down upon is absentee owners or people without industry experience in the restaurant industry. Yeah, it's amazing. You know, theft is one of those things that you don't really even consider as a small business owner because you're thinking, well, you know, there's no way that that's ever going to be a real expense. And even in, in my line of work, uh, theft has been a huge issue, not theft if it's vandalism and if it's not theft or vandalism, it's prevention of theft and vandalism with, you know, secure storage and things of that nature. So there's expenses that unfortunately as a small business owner, you're just never going to um, really understand until they hit you. And for example, we had a trailer stolen and sure you pay for insurance to cover that. But again, insurance isn't going to cover every single aspect. They're covering the depreciated value and you've got to go out and buy it. And it's a whole thing. And, but you mentioned theft like three times now. And it's, it's, if, if I would have talked to you 25 years ago, starting my business, I would have thought that's crazy. You're way too worried about theft. And now I'm like, wow, you're, you're very much worried about theft because it really happened. So that's just an example of those, um, just unforeseen business expenses that no one could really anticipate unless they're talking to a professional uh, like yourself. So I know you are in the SBA world. Um, do you ever direct people to say, hey, look, this is the SBA route is not for you, but there are other options out there. Do you ever direct people in that way? Is, is that is there a type of business that I mean, how do you decide if you're going to come into the SBA world, if you're going to say self-funded or if you're going to borrow from friends and family, if you're going to search for investors or angel investors, or now there's crowdfunding and there's even like business incubators out there. There's so many ways to find the money. Um, how do you make that determination as to which route to go? Uh, like I was saying earlier, so SBA, they have our standard operating procedures, which we refer to as our SOP, which is kind of like our Bible. So there are rules and regulations, eligibility with SBA. So you look at it and for instance, and like you were saying, do I ever see it's on a daily, I'm telling borrowers, you know, this is not going to work SBA or you're, you know, you personally, you have too much cash or 
this is going to work better for investment. You don't need debt. You need capital. Those type of things I do on a daily. So for instance, if a borrower comes in and they're saying, you know, I want to do SBA uh, because I'm looking for a longer term, blah, blah, blah. Well, SBA is not there for everyone to get that longer term. They have a condition called credit elsewhere, which means can you get credit elsewhere based on your personal financials and the performance of your business? So if your business is has a great cash flow and you have a lot of money, you know, you're very liquid personally, you can't qualify for SBA because it's reserved for people who can't get credit elsewhere. So they're going to be pushed more towards our commercial lender or our traditional bank loan product. Then you have borrowers where they come in and they they need $75,000 or something like that. Most banks want to start lending at $250,000. And it's just a, a, a return because banks are businesses too. I mean, I work for a very small community bank, so we're a small business. So we have to look at our return on investment. loan still requires the same amount of work as a million-dollar SBA loan. The paperwork does not change, you know, that much for the government. So usually we take those loans and we refer them to what we call a micro-lender. They're micro-lenders. Here in Georgia, we used to have 13, 14. Now we're down to about five just because of the economy and what happened back in, you know, 2008 and 11. The micro lenders usually can lend anywhere from $5,000 to $250,000. And they're usually like a CDFI, a community uh, finance development institution, or just a micro lender where they're getting funds from a municipality or something. Or let's say like a bigger bank, like a Bank of America or an Amazon or something, they'll donate funds to these small micro lenders for them to use in their in their communities to help small businesses. There's also an SBA product they have called the Community Advantage Loan. Banks don't have that product, but the, the micro lenders do. And that product you can lend up to two hundred and fifty thousand dollars. And they're there to fill that gap where your banks want to start at a higher number so that they can make a profit as well. Like I said, we're small businesses. So we usually refer them out to something like a micro lender or there's some groups around, I know here in Atlanta, there's some groups of angel investors. Keep in mind, investors are not, they don't want to lend you money for 10 years. Investors want in and out really quick. They don't want to be a part of that business. So your your business plan or your your business itself needs to be something where they can invest. It's going to make money and then they can get out within a couple of years. They're not going to look to be in a in a restaurant deal for 10 years. Those are not investors. Those are more family members that you're going to get. Um, So you have to look at what type of capital or investment you need. Are you looking for long term or you need something short where you need to do some research and development, get that patent done? And then you're going to just, you know, your your revenue is going to explode. Profit is going to explode. That's more where you're going to go, where you're going to look for some type of angel investor. You're looking for long term 
where you need time to build and stabilize, that's when you're looking more of bank debt. Yeah, and that's one thing to keep in mind. And you, you brought up a very interesting point here is, you know, as a small business owner, a lot of times we look at the these banks as these giant institutions. And, you know, you work for, like you said, a small business. And just like the entrepreneur, you have to make a return so that you can pay your uh, salaries, you can pay your rent expenses, you can pay your 401ks, you can pay your medical expenses, all of these things that it takes to run a small business, these banks are, are doing it as well. And I think one thing the small business owner often feels like is, you know, if they're in that $50,000 need range, that I just can't, no one wants to help me. These banks just, they're not in they're just, it's impossible. It seems to be a, a lot of what I'm hearing in that small business side. And that's a very great explanation as to why. It's like, look, we're going to have to invest these highly paid people the same amount of time to do this loan. And ultimately, it's like we've talked about in previous episodes where you have to say no sometimes to business. And as a small business owner who's just getting started, the idea that you can take on every single bit of business is is a fallacy. And these banks are dealing with that exact same thing. So it's not that they don't like you or they think your business is terrible. It's just they can't find a place in their portfolio for you. But like Sherry mentioned, they will move you towards someone who can help. They know the route. So it's just like anything else. If you can put yourself in the shoes of someone who you're asking for help for, they're going to be much more likely to help you uh, with what you need, even if it's outside of their scope of, of of work. If they know right off the bat, hey, we're not going to be able to help this person. But if you're super nice and kind to that person, they're gonna it's going to go a long way for them to saying, hey, I'll take a little bit of extra time and steer you towards this guy that I know. Because someone like Sherry knows everybody, right? I mean, you know the guy who is the angel investor looking for this type of business. You know the small micro lender over here who's looking to kind of invest in this type of business. And, you know, you can help move people in those directions, even if it's not necessarily in your job. So uh, basically be kind, put yourself in their shoes and understand that they're doing their job as well. Right. Um, and just for instance, like right now I'm working on a deal here. And like you were saying earlier in my bio, I chair the credit committee for Invest Atlanta. Invest Atlanta is a, uh, so they have a loan fund here in Atlanta for businesses within the city of Atlanta. So I work with them. So I have borrowers that I'm like, well, let's break this loan down because keep in mind, the micro lenders, their terms are not like loan sharks. These are loans that you can get sometimes five or seven years for like three, four percent. So it's not like we're referring you off to some loan shark where you're going to be paying forever. <laughs> No, that's not it. It's just sometimes you you really have to look at the structure of the deal, too, and what makes sense. Because a lot of banks, and this is where I go back, just kind of go back a little bit, make sure that you have a relationship with a banker at a bank and make sure that what you're doing, they have an appetite for it. And just ask them up front. I tell people all the time, my bank, we do not... A lot of times we're not looking for hotel deals or not saying we won't do them, but it needs to be a very strong deal, something local, uh, something with a flag. And when I say flag, I mean a name that we all know. 
Those are things that we look for. If I get a deal that's not that, then I'll say, well, maybe I can refer you to a lender that I know they have an appetite for that. And I'll refer them out. If it's something I can see, okay, well, this is something we can do, but we're going to have to structure it a little different to fit within our credit box. And I can say, well, call this micro lender and see if they'll do 25000 or 50000 of the working capital. And we'll be able to do the rest. Now you can get the deal done. Wow, that's wonderful. That's wonderful. So we, we've touched on this a little bit, um, and I, I think it's important to kind of to, to dive into just a little bit more. Um, we talked about projections of what maybe year one looks like, and this definitely should be in a business plan, what year one is going to look like, what year three is going to look like. And, you know, if you're looking for whatever term I would anticipate, if you're looking, say, for five years to pay this loan back, you need to be able to project to five years plus so that the lender sees, okay, they've got a plan uh, to, to pay this back in five years, and this is how they're going to do it. And it, it all seems uh, to work. So is there you know, any magic way? I know there's no magic way to do anything, but are there any sort of tricks or ways or tools on those projections? Because I know for myself, I mean, I happen to be an engineer, so I did a lot of math. And getting into business, the math side of things made a lot of sense to me. But there's plenty of people who are going to be opening uh, businesses that have nothing to do with math, who have never enjoyed math, and they don't like this part of it. So is there anything that they can do to help um, project out what three years is going to look like, what five years is going to look like, so they have a better idea? And you, as the lender, have a better idea of what they're anticipating? Okay. So if if you ever see any of my checklist or any presentations I ever do, one thing that we have to have our projections. And it doesn't matter if you're an existing business or a startup. So if you're an existing business and you're coming in for money, we want to know how you're going to pay this additional debt. So we need to see your projections going out at least three years. SBA requires that. If you're a startup company, we need your projections. And the first 12 months need to be monthly. And then we need two years of projections following it. But whenever you see projections on anything that I send out, you're going to see projections with assumptions. And what are assumptions? Assumptions are how are you going to get there? How are you going to make $350,000 in your new restaurant? What are your hours? How often are you going to turn your tables? What are your costs? So you have to do some study on your industry. Always refer clients to the Small Business Development Center. Small business development centers are nationwide, funded through the SBA, usually within a university center in a, in, in a state. So here in Georgia, it's through UGA. In South Carolina, it's through the University of South Carolina. They have a number of offices around the state. And if you just Google Small Business Development Center or SBDC, you'll get a list of offices. You can call them and make an appointment and it's free. Your tax dollars have paid for this. This service. I will second that. I will jump in and second that in a heartbeat. They have been uh, just paramount in helping me in two um, kind of acquisitions of other businesses that we've gone through. And I mean, to the point of building, um, you know, it, it, putting valuations on the company at no charge. 
mean, that's right. a very expensive process to value a company. And they gave me three different valuations based on three different models. And there was no cost to me. So I, I second that wholeheartedly. Right. And because they can give you demographic information. Most people are not going to have the software or the industry uh, sites they can go to and say, how much does a restaurant make or what are the, the, the financials of restaurants? They have all of that information and they can give it to you. So let's say you're looking to put a, a restaurant in a certain part of town and they can tell you, well, this demographic or within a five mile radius, there are 300 homes with one or two parent households with 2.5 kids. And the average income is $80,000. Well, would that average income support your restaurant? We look at stuff like that when you're bringing it in. So your assumptions should say, you know, I plan to sell 10 cheeseburgers an hour for $6.50. That's how I'm going to get to this number. So with that, the financial projections, we need those assumptions to go with it. But then those assumptions need to be supported by something like a demographic. Like, can you sell a cheeseburger for $6.50 in this neighborhood? Or can you charge uh, $210 a week for daycare in this neighborhood? Those are what we, that's what we look for. And that's what hurts a lot of small businesses when they come in because they're only using the, the limited amount of information they have from, let's say the 20 or 30 restaurants they've been, you know, they visited and they can only get information from what they can actually see but if you talk with someone or go talk to the small business, they can give you all types of demographic and industry background information on your your deal. Yeah, I think the point there, which you've made excellently, as we see this all the time, is where someone will come in and they'll go, OK, what are your projections? Well, you know, you know that the food industry is a. $500 billion industry. And all I have to do is capture 0.005% of that. And I'm going to make $300,000. Well, <laughs> that's great. No one cares. Everyone knows that the food industry is great, but we've also seen millions and millions of restaurants go out of business. So dialing it down to, I mean, literally, like you said, six cheeseburgers per hour is how I'm going to make my six, $65 an hour to be able to pay my rent. That is this much an hour. And my lights, that's this much an hour. And my staff, that's this much an hour. And my food costs, which break down. So, you know, anything that I think you can do in your business plan on these projections, like Sherry mentioned, is dialing it down to that degree. I never would have anticipated something like that being necessary. And I needed a very, very small loan. I mean, we, I think my first loan was $15,000 to get started. And I was very lucky. Um, so with that level of small investment, you know, the scrutiny wasn't as high. So, but if you're going through SBA, it doesn't matter if it's $5, um, like Sherry said, or if it's $500,000, the scrutiny is there, uh, regardless of the amount. So you need to be able to dial down into that level. Um, you know, one thing, uh, we hear it a lot and you see it on Shark Tank because it's not necessarily reality. I think of, of all reality shows, uh, they do a pretty decent job of, of letting people understand what's important. And those are investors who are in a, in a different world than anyone else is in. 
but is there a metric? I mean, and honestly, it's, it could be a yes or no question. Is there a metric for you at least of, of success other than profits? Not really. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Right. You know, the thing that gets me is, you know, we have this whole thought process now. And if you're on any social media, this whole thing of owning a business, owning a business, you know, don't work for anyone for so many years just to get a paycheck. But if you own a business and I've seen it firsthand for years, I've seen the good and the bad of this business. Owning a business that does not make a profit creates a lot of stress. (laughs) I have seen divorces. I've seen friendship breakups. I've seen homes foreclosed. I've seen it all. So for me, to own a business, just to own a business, is just not going to cut it. Because small business cannot be separated from the personal. And if you can't pay your bills in the business, that means you're not being able to pay bills and support the house. So there's so much stress. Lack of money is the number one stressor. It's the number one argument in marriages, whatever you want to say. So for me, when I'm looking at it, it's always, are you making a profit? Because when it gets to the point where you're not, For instance, if you take our current situation with the pandemic and the number of small businesses that have been impacted, my phone rings every day with, I can't make my payment. I had to lay off someone. I'm stressed out. I feel like I'm a therapist most days. (laughs) It's back in March. I I kid you not. I would not get these calls if they were making a profit. See what I'm saying? Sure. So this leads a lot of small businesses, some of them to the edge, some of them to closing, you know, some of them having to scale back on things they do in their families, sending kids to college, you know, getting a car fixed, getting the health care. It affects so much and we don't see it, but I hear it every single day. Yeah, so, you're right. I mean, the the reason people get into small business, right? The reason, I mean, I'm an uh, an odd story in that I I just kind of happened into it. I mean, it was never really my plan. My plan was to be an engineer, and I, I developed a hobby that just took off at the right time, and uh, the business presented itself. But ultimately, what I've learned um, because now I've I've been in uh, a business, I've owned my own business you know, 400% longer than I work for someone else, um, is the freedom. So ultimately as a small business owner, there's a ton of freedom that comes with that title. And at the same time, as you mentioned, the level of stress at times is, is way more than 400% of what it would be if I was working for someone else. So you have to understand as a small business owner, um, you want that freedom, but you have to be making a profit to have it. If, if, if I'm able to go out today and go for a bike ride at, you know, when, when we finish recording this podcast at two o'clock, um, it's not just because we're in the middle of a pandemic. It's because we're in a situation financially where I can afford to do that. Otherwise I would be pounding the pavement, um, finding ways to, 
to earn a little bit of extra money. And I probably should be doing that anyways, but there's, you know, there's a whole other thing we'll get into, which is self, you know, care that small business owners need to do as well. But um, yeah, but it's just, it's freedom that you don't have if you're not making a profit. So I, I appreciate you being very blunt and ultimately, you know, a bank can say if they want, that's, it's great. We're working with this nonprofit who donated, you know, $500,000 to charity last year. And that's great for the bank, but ultimately that doesn't mean anything to them other than making them feel good about who they're partnering with. So it can push you, I would guess in that altruistic way of, Oh, we, we want to partner with you because you're doing good things, but we can't partner with you because there's no way you're going to make any money. So, um, (laughs) I appreciate you being honest about that. Um, you know, we'll wrap up here with just a few more things, but one thing that I also know that a lot of people uh, don't consider, and a lot of people do, I personally love uh, tracking my expenses. I love to get my receipts and, and you know, take them out and put them into QuickBooks and then put them in that month, uh, my folder. And it's just an organizational process that I just love. And then when the, the bank statements come, being able to reconcile everything and it matches up, it's just, it's, it's, it's wonderful. <laughs> but so many people, can't stand that. So many people who I know own small businesses, um, you know, they throw receipts somewhere in the car and they'll find them eight months later. And when the tax time comes, the accountant's like, well, let me see your books. And they're like, "Uh, here's a ledger that I write stuff down in. Do you have a recommendation? And I know you don't, you know, work for any company or anything like that in terms of software, but do you have a recommendation on what you've seen small business owners having the most success with actually tracking those finances as they move through business? Of course, like you were saying, QuickBooks, that's the one that, you know, I see most often. Um, I don't know the names of some of these, of some of the software, but, you know, I hear of some apps where you can take a picture of it so that you don't just throw it away and it goes. And I think QuickBook may have something you can add on like that too, but keeping track of those receipts and, and expenses and doing those financials that's the one of the biggest things that banks or lenders look for is the integrity of your financials i have had to deny loans because we had no confidence in what the financials presented so i would definitely invest one in software you know i have family uh, i grew up my stepdad had his own bookkeeping and income tax service. And I worked there. That was like my first job, non-paying, of course. But we would get brown paper sacks of of receipts and invoices. And, I and thought I you were going to say cash. I was like, I need in on this business. <laughs> no. <laughs> my job was to go through and put them on the ledger. And this was before all the computers. So we had this green ledger. And I would just go in and track all the receipts, write everything down in different categories. Didn't realize that that would be what kind of influenced what I do today. And the, the passion I have behind helping small business is because some of them didn't realize that, you know, keeping track of this along the way will help you out so much better. You know, when you're trying to get that loan or you're paying taxes or whatever it is, keeping good books it's not going to hurt you. 
at yeah, all. And I can tell you this, I can attest to that 100% on two different occasions. Uh, one is we had someone, and you just never know when these things are going to happen. We had someone who wanted to uh, at least start the discussion about purchasing our business. And, you know, it was actually someone who has come from the Shark Tank world. So that's my, it was super exciting. You know, when you get that call, you're like, I saw you on TV and now I'm talking to you on the phone. Mm-hmm. And um, they were like, we need to see, you know, we want to move pretty quick. We need to see this, this and this. And luckily I had, I keep my books up to date, you know, daily, if not weekly. And I was able to just click a few buttons and say, well, here are your reports. And that it put a, a, an idea in their head, at least that, hey, these guys are together and they have their stuff together. Ultimately, what the numbers showed was uh, it, it didn't match up in, in their brain as to what the actual valuation was and what I thought the valuation was. So that didn't go through. But then in another situation, um, uh, having to move as a small business owner, uh, having a lease come up uh, in a personal setting, uh, and then start the process of looking for a new place to live, um, they're asking a lot of questions. So if you're a small business owner and you're going to be doing anything personally, they need to know all about your business so that they can do this personal loan. Because if you get asked, who's your employer? And that answer is self you get put into a whole different ball game when it comes to finances because it's not just W-2s anymore. We need to know uh, exactly. the viability of your business. We need to see what those tax returns look like because if that business is losing $100,000 on paper every year and your only income is that business, you're in a whole different ball game there. So having those numbers to be able to pull up immediately and get those into a person, even on a personal side, was super important. So like you said, having that uh, at the ready is is huge. And I would imagine you as the SBA lender are, are going to come back to those every so often and you're going to revisit those numbers and say, well, how are we looking? Exactly. And I was getting ready to actually say that. So like typically on a loan request, you know, in our commitment letter or, you know, in our loan agreement, we want to see quarterly or semi-annual financials just to check up and make sure the business is, you know, making a profit, able to continue to service the debt. So if it gets to be, you know, right now, this is the time when we're starting to request, you know, third quarter financials. September just ended. So we want to see where the business is. So we'll start sending those letters, you know, please make sure you you send in your, your uh, 931 financials. So that we can review them. And, you know, in this situation where we are with COVID, banks and lenders are going to be very um, aggressive trying to get those financials because they're going to want to compare them to where you were 9-30-2019. Right. And you're talking if you're in the PPP, well, I guess PPP is not as big of a deal, but or the PPP is actually you've got to be able to show that you paid that, right? Yeah, you 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 have to show that PPP. Um, you know that was more payroll, but still, if your PPP is not going to be forgiven in any way, now it becomes part of the debt of the business. Right, and that's why we we don't want that debt. So, all no. right, so um, you know, Sherry. It's been awesome. Uh, probably taking up more of your time than I told you I was going to take up. But before I let you go, 
I always have to ask one question, and that is very simple, and it's not a simple question because there's 800 answers, but you can just give us one. So if you had the ability to give just one piece of advice from your role as the SBA lender to a small business uh, entrepreneur building their business, what would that piece of advice be? Ooh, one piece. <laughs> Tough one, I know. Uh I would go back to make sure you're getting into or looking at a business that makes you happy. Mm. Because I've learned in my 40, whatever, 44 years, money will not make you happy. If you're in an industry where there's a lot of stress, um, you, you can't spend time with family and things like that. Eventually something is going to run you out of it. You know, I've, I've done loans with people who were partners at big law firms and they were like, I want to come in and, and one sticks out particular. He was like, you know, I said, well, why are you leaving the law firm when you're a partner? And it's one of the biggest law firms here in the city to open a daycare. He said, I have missed dance recitals lacrosse, baseball. He said, I've missed so much of my kids' life that I don't want to do that anymore. So to me, being involved in something that makes you happy and, and have a purpose and it's a passion for you, that would be my number one thing. Don't open a business because somebody tells you you're going to be able to make X amount of dollars because Three to five years from now, you're going to be happy. You're going to be coming to see see me, and you're going. To, I need to sell it, or uh, this is not working. And it happens all the time. So that would be my advice: make sure you're doing something that you like and that makes you happy. Yeah, I love that, and I love that you can wear two hats. There, you know, we earlier talked about the metric of success in a business. And ultimately as the SBA lender, that metric is profit and there is no other answer. And then your metric as a human being is happiness. And I love the fact that you can separate those two and uh, let them kind of exist in the same space. So excellent advice from an excellent guest and an excellent friend. Uh, Sherry, I appreciate you immensely taking the time out of what is a crazy busy schedule right now uh, and sharing your insight with us. Oh, you're very welcome. Now I'm going to get back to some PPP and some PPP forgiveness. <laughs> <laughs> That's what we like. We like all the forgiveness. So, uh, Sherry, thank you. And we'll talk to you soon. Thank you, Jeremy. All right. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Well, there you have it, folks. Episode number four is in the books. Again, a huge thanks to my friend Sherry martin Kennard for her insight into financing your business. I hope you guys have a fantastic week. And until we see you again, keep living the dream. <laughs>